Well, good evening. Good to see you tonight. Good crowd on a Sunday evening. And uh, I hope you're all revved up for Revelation. So uh, grab your Bibles. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. And we'll be in there in just a moment. Well, folks, uh, as we, I've got to give a good report tonight, and uh, I was talking with someone this week, and uh, I know every single person here that's uh, been part of the church for a while, one of the important things that we want to see is folks coming to Union Grove Baptist that don't know Christ. And this morning, we had multiple people that were here that... Uh, uh, some here for the first time, a couple others that uh, uh, I know have not received Christ yet, at least before the service started. So folks, uh, that's that's a big, big part of what we're trying to do, reach the community, get folks in that uh, don't know the Lord as their Savior, and just please keep it up. What a, it's, You're just doing a tremendous job. Thank you so much for uh, what you're doing, inviting folks. There's some, uh, Justin referred to it, there are some uh, cards that were made in the back uh, to invite folks to the cantata. Uh, folks are up here practicing this evening. By the way, folks, uh, thanks so much for showing up at 445. Where's Josh at? Man, you're just pushing these folks. I'll tell you, it's all on him. I wouldn't do that, but no. I appreciate it, and uh, he does a great job, and uh, thanks so much for those of you that are, I mean, it, this is huge, it's, it's wonderful, and I'm so happy. Folks, uh, eight months ago, we had a tough time putting on an ensemble together, and now we got a choir again. Isn't that good? Uh, praise the Lord for what he's doing. Uh, thanks so much for uh, uh, what you're doing. I had another person come into the office this afternoon and uh, say, man, you know, uh, the, the, what's happening through the cameras and the internet system that's gone up and the folks that were reaching through that and folks that end up coming as visitors, it's just, it's just phenomenal. So all the things that you've been doing, all the things you're investing in, uh, folks, we take it very seriously. We'll meet with the deacons on Thursday, uh, lots of things to go through. But folks, a good report. The church is in, if I was given a State of the Union speech right now, let's make it the State of the Union Grove. I don't want to give the State of the Union right now. That's not so good, maybe. But uh, the State of Union Grove Baptist Church is excellent, and I mean excellent. So thanks so much for what you're doing. Thanks for investing in, in God's work. And uh, it's just going to be, I just see more and more good things happening. I think there's a song like that. Something good is going to stop. Anyway, uh, so tonight, once again, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. We're going to uh, Revelation chapter 2. So we're going to be starting on uh, the, the uh, letters to the seven churches in Asia. And uh, chapter 2 and 3, again, are looking back historically at letters that the Apostle John had written. But uh, boy, there's some super practical things that, we be, that we'll be looking at in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation and then I'll really get revved up, uh, if you will, for when we get to Revelation chapter 4 and start getting into 100% prophecy. So uh, the book of Revelation, a tremendous amount of prophecy, and I like to call it apocalyptic absolutes, Revelation verse by verse. So we're looking at, when we're looking at apocalyptic, we're looking at uh, uh, prophetic things. Apocalyptic, again, is the, the Greek word where the book, uh, where the title Revelation comes from. So a lot of prophecy to come, and we'll actually look at a teeny bit of prophecy in uh, the first seven verses tonight. The title of the message is, Have You Left Your First Love? Have You Left Your First Love? It was 1972 when, as I've shared many, many times, my older sister invited me to a Bible study while I was in high school. And I went to that Bible study, and there, I believe, for the first time, I heard the gospel message. Don't believe I've ever heard it before. If I did, it certainly didn't register. And I've told how I went home, and after about two weeks, the Lord touched my heart, and I knew I needed to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I went down into, as I've said, uh, the basement of my parents' home, knelt down by a little old studio couch they had down there, 
didn't know what to say, but I just, if I, if you will, prayed the sinner's prayer, which I didn't even know what it was at that time. Admitted I was a sinner, needed Christ, and, and trusted him. Something amazing began to happen after I asked Christ into my heart and received the gift of eternal life, if you will, through trusting in Jesus. And I would come home, and I've explained this a little bit, but I, it really rings true with what we're going to look at tonight. And I would come home, and, I, and I'd grab my Bible if, if from high school. And again, I'm about a, 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 a freshman in high school. My uh, older sister was, I believe, a junior at the time. And I had been in church all my life. I'd never been in a good Bible-believing church. And I just wanted to get into the Bible. The one thing that uh, the little Bible study I went to, it wasn't at a church. It was at a person's home. And I, I, I was not being grounded, I wasn't being discipled, but I just had this hunger to get inside and just start reading those scriptures. And I'd get home, you know, whatever it was, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, and I'd open up the Word of God, and I, I vividly remember being in Matthew, and I'm starting to read through it, and I'm seeing things like the Beatitudes, and I'm seeing, and I'm reading things, and it's like, you know, I've heard this before, but I had no idea it was in the Bible. And no clue. I'm hearing things, I'm, I'm listening to things, and it's like, wow, this is amazing. I had no idea all this was in here. And it was just falling in love with the Lord and, and falling in love with the Scriptures and so excited about it. I, I, I got a big old, I don't remember if I've told you about this, but I had a big old metal cross. And, of course, this was back, uh, excuse the expression, but it was back in the Jesus Freak days, Jesus uh, Movement days. So I got this big old metal cross. We had a school of about 2,000 uh, people in the high school I went to. And boy, I want everybody to know that I trusted Christ. And uh, you can imagine how that went over. Uh, some people went over good. A whole lot of people didn't go over so good. But I was charged up. I was excited. It's like, boy, I just I got to tell folks uh, the greatest news that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And I loved him. And I spent time in his word. And I was sharing the gospel and then some old guy tapped on my shoulder one day. Don't know who it was. Never saw him. And he said, what are you doing this for? What's all this silly religious stuff you're doing? You're not really buying into this, are you? And I said, hmm, what you talking about? He's like, this is a bunch of nonsense. Why are you wasting your time with this church stuff? And I said, well, you know, I know I'm saved, and I know I trusted Christ. And this little still small voice in my head wasn't audible, but it's just this, what are you wasting your time with this for? Why don't you go buy yourself a, a 57 Chevy? Your dad's a hot rod mechanic. And uh, why don't you spend your Sundays going to the drag strip? I said, you know, that sounds like a great idea. So I walked away from my first love and picked up my 57 Chevy hot rod, went to the drag strip most weekends, and spent my time racing cars, hanging out with my less than desirable friends. It's about 1973, and my mom and dad had gotten right with the Lord. They were going to a wonderful church, Westchester Bible Church in Illinois, and they knew their son, who'd made a profession of faith and at one point was on fire for God, was not living for the Lord. And even though I know Christ, I, I had no doubts about it. I was saved to save could come, but I wasn't in church. I wasn't told what church to go to. I wasn't discipled, and I walked away from my first love. And my parents kept working on me, and they're like, Rich, would, would you come? And, and, I, and, I, and I still, if you see what I wear when I come into the building, I still wear my leather coat. I like leather. I'm sorry. Not meant to be anything except I like leather. Okay, I like black leather. So be it. Some folks are offended by it. I'm not, obviously. <laughs> and I said, well, I'll tell you what. And I grew my hair longer. Shush. I don't want to hear about it. I knew that. I'm going to beat you to the punch. I actually had hair back then. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. And uh, I had it back, you know, down past my collar, had my, my tough clothes on, so to speak. And I'm like, yeah, I said, I'll think about coming to your church. 
but I'm going to dress this way, and if they don't like it, too bad. You know what they said to me? The same exact thing I say in this pulpit constantly. I don't care how you dress. Come through that door, and we're going to love you. And you love me even though I wear a black jacket still. <laughs> and they said, you come to church. And I'm like, ah, that was supposed to be a trick so I didn't have to go. And I wouldn't go. So as I've told the story several years after I trusted Christ, several years after I'd spent time and time and time in the Word of God and, and, and reading it and God working on my heart, and then all of a sudden uh, I allowed myself to be drifting away from my first love. And finally they said, well, and I've told the story back in Chicago about 1973, 1974, Jack Van Impey came to town, McCormick Place, Chicago, Illinois. My best friend came with me. He wasn't saved. Invitation was given. I walked down the aisle, got right with God, and my friend got saved. And I went back to my pillow and every single day, picked up my Bible again, started getting back into the Bible, started remembering things that I did when I first got saved, and I came back to my first love. I stopped committing spiritual adultery, if you will. Never committed. Don't take that in the wrong way. I'm talking spiritual, not physical. And we go to Ephesians or I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 2 this evening. And we're going to read about a church that was in another major city. I'm actually going to show you some pictures of the archaeological ruins. I've been there. It's a, a, a fantastic, it's one of the huge archaeological remains today in Turkey. And here's what God is saying to a church that was in this metropolis inside this uh, area called Ephesus. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, we'll explain that, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have per persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, church at Ephesus, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Father, I pray now as we open up this wonderful passage. Father, it's uh, so many, so many sermons have been taken out of uh, this perfect sermon outline, if you will, on what happens to a church that's going in the wrong direction. Lord, I'm so thankful for what's happening at Union Grove Baptist, and I believe we are going the right direction. And Lord, this is a wonderful warning as what is happening around the country, what is happening around the world, and how we need to stay strong and walk with you to prevent what happened at the Church of Ephesus from happening right here in Union Grove. So, Father, I pray as you admonish us from your word, I pray you'd encourage us, that you'd motivate us, and you'd excite us about what we still can do here at the church that your love is indeed building. So, Father, we commit this time to you, pray to revive the saved and save the lost. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So, as we get into uh, Revelation chapter 2, just a little reminder of where we're at in the book. Revelation chapter 1, God is giving a bit of an introduction. He's looking at things that had taken place. We then go now to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and these are things that God was speaking to seven churches that existed in the first century. Remember, John's been exiled. He's been placed on Patmos because he was preaching the, the, uh, the word of God. Guess where it's believed he came from? Ephesus. They didn't care for godly people. So uh, the, the John gets exiled. He's sent away. The government kicks him off the island. They put him on Patmos, this little teeny tiny 
island where he uh, is some 90 years old and, and he's suffering for the cause of Christ and uh, God says I want to do something special for John by the way if you remember John wrote the gospel of John he wrote first second and third John and he also was the author of Revelation let's clarify that through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit John didn't make it up he didn't uh, he simply listened as God made it very clear however God uh, related the word of God to him. So bottom line, and we're looking at uh, uh, the church that existed at Ephesus, if you will, in 90 AD, 95 AD, when he's writing the book of Revelation. Now again, as we progress in the book, and we'll just very briefly go through it, once we get past the letters to the seven churches that existed, and again, I, I'm stressing this on purpose because there's many different uh, groups uh, schools of thought that do not take this literally. They're like, well, uh, uh, God's speaking about seven different time periods. Zero indication that he's talking about time periods. He's talking to seven churches that are in Turkey. It, it's absolute. It's definite. So, and they're like, well, maybe it's different uh, 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 ways that the church has responded to the Lord if, over the last 2,000 years. Well, first of all, can you please tell me what day is the rapture going to happen? <laughs> maybe a Tuesday, maybe a Monday, maybe a Saturday. Is it going to happen in 2021? We hope so. We're praying for it. Do we know it's going to happen? Somebody said yes. Okay. Maybe. Do we know that? Absolutely not. We don't set dates. People were, back when uh, the Apostle Paul was there, he talked about the imminent return of Christ. He talked about when the rapture come, comes in 1 Corinthians 15, that he would be translated, transformed. Hadn't happened yet. But he's looking forward to it. Folks, I hope the rapture comes today. I'm looking forward to the coming of Jesus. But folks, what happens if it's 2,000 years from now? I don't believe that's going to be the case, but it could be. You say, well, you shouldn't talk like that. You're a pre-trib uh, rapturist. Uh, we believe in the imminent return of Christ. I don't know what imminent is to God. It's been 2,000 years since it was written. So uh, when you look at those that put this, and sorry for caveating into the scholastic world, the academic world for a minute, but when you say, well, this period, this period, this period, they're looking at it like 2,000 is the end of it all. That's a guess. They don't know. So God never set dates when it comes to the prophetic future, when it comes to the rapture. He did set time periods for the seven-year tribulation, the thousand-year millennium. But chapters uh, four and on, we'll be getting to that. That's all prophetic. All right, let's get to the text. And then I'm going to show you some pictures that uh, currently are fresh, fairly fresh from uh, Turkey. So the uh, first thing we're looking at is the seven stars. Take your Bibles, go back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20, because God defines what these, if you will, apocalyptic symbolic signs are. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. God defines apocalyptic symbols. The seven stars are the churches. You said, why did you just say angels like angelos? Because that's the Greek word. So here's a little bit of debate in the scholarly academic community and 50-50 uh, on a split on this. There are those that strongly believe that God is not referring to actual angels here, but the word angelos actually means messenger, which can be translated, if you will, messenger or angel. It depends on the context. So it's a little split decision. Is God specifically uh, writing to the pastors or the elders of those seven churches or angels? Now you say, well, what's your dogmatic opinion? When that's split like that and I read the scholars and I try to come up with a conclusion, my leaning based on context is that he's talking to the pastors or the elders, if you will, based on context. Could I be wrong on that? Yes. Okay, want to be honest. All right, so he says to the angel of the church of Ephesus. So it's either the angel or the pastor, the elder of the church of Ephesus, write these things. Bottom line, who's ever uh, over that church, that's who's going to get uh, this letter, which makes perfect sense. If somebody's going to get a letter, uh, there weren't angels walking around, but there were certainly pastors and elders in these churches. 
These things says he who what holds the seven stars. Go back to verse 20. What are the seven stars? They represent the angels or the messengers of the seven churches. So he says, uh, uh, I hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. What's he saying? He's saying he's walking, if you will, in the midst of these seven churches which are spread out over Turkey. So let's go to Turkey. Let's jump on a plane, put on your seatbelts. We're going to be there lickety-split. Uh, it's kind of like the rapture. Uh, it's the speed of thought. All right, boom, here we are. So I'm, we're just entering emphasis. This is actually the road. Uh, there's an entryway just out of the picture in front of this. And you're walking into Ephesus. Now, folks, when you take a trip like this, and who knows what's going to happen with travel and restrictions and all that stuff in the future. So I'm thankful I've been able to get to these places in the past. But you walk in, and you're walking into ancient civilization from what we're reading about in the Bible. The church at Ephesus was in here somewhere. Don't know exactly where. Don't know what the building was. Don't know if it was underground. But the church existed in what we're showing you right now. So you walk in, and what do you see? You see people way down the street. This was a huge city. And the entire ruins of Ephesus haven't even been uncovered. It's massive. It was a giant uh, uh, urban place. You see these columns. What do columns speak of? Well, they usually speak of Roman government. There's multiple types of columns. The columns actually give away where they're from by what type of capitals they have, capital being the top piece on uh, the pillars. But it's just amazing. You're walking into these ancient ruins in Turkey. You're seeing the biblical city, if you will, being spoken about here of Ephesus, and it just takes you back 2,000 years. Now, you have the facade of what I believe uh, they called their uh, library at the time. I don't know what was in there. There were no books to read. And, <laughs> but uh, uh, just it, it, you see this. This is 2,000-year-old uh, items that existed at that time. Now, most of them had been destroyed, if you will, during earthquakes. A lot of the columns and stuff get knocked over. They just basically push them back up in the same spots they were back 2,000 years ago after they uncover them through the archaeological digs. Take a look at the people again down at the bottom of the picture, small, and you look at this giant coliseum, giant theater. Folks, we're talking about Ephesus. We're talking about, if you will, uh, uh, Chicago, L.A., uh, uh, places that are huge where there's a lot of people coming. They want entertainment. And Paul goes to Ephesus, and others go to Ephesus, and they're preaching there, and people are getting saved in this metropolis, in this urban place. And some good things are happening even in the midst of this, if you will, pagan land. I mean, you, here's a, another view looking down uh, from that giant theater. Thousands of seats there in Ephesus where people could come and gather together. So just as a, a little refresher as to where we are, so if you look in the bottom right-hand corner is where Israel is. Uh, most of you are familiar with Jerusalem. Uh, another person said today, and I, I might have misspoken at some point, perish the thought, but it could happen, and uh, it's like, well, where is uh, the Knesset? And the Knesset is the place where, if you will, the Parliament of Israel meets, and it is in Jerusalem. What? was moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, Valerie, how many years ago? Two or three, right? Uh, she's good with dates, I'm terrible. But uh, most of you are aware, President Trump moved the capital, if you will, the embassy, recognizing Jerusalem as a capital, not Tel Aviv. Folks, they thought World War III was going to start over that. You know what happened? Nothing. <laughs> the Muslims got upset. They... they Raised a little bit fit. Did any violence happen? Nope. Uh, embassy was moved to uh, Jerusalem. I've been there. Uh, but what's the point? Jerusalem is God's capital. Jerusalem is the center of God's universe, Ezekiel 5.5. 5. And now, uh, as we're seeing uh, what the, uh, the outreach was, the missionary work that was being done, and you look up in Turkey, and here's Ephesus, that metropolis, that urban place where this letter is being sent to. And John is doing, if you will, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's, you ever hear of the sandwich effect? 
right? So you got the nice cookie on the outside, and then you got whatever's in them. Actually, I like the middle better anyway, but, you know, you say something good, then bam, you punch them, and then you give them something good in the bottom. Which doesn't work for me because I always like the middle better than, than the top and the bottom, but whatever. Uh, uh, but it's a sandwich effect, and he's going to say, listen, you did a great job here, and listen, there's great stuff coming. But then he also has a very strong retribution. All right, so he says, uh, uh, he, he, this person, speaking of Christ, walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So here's an artist's rendition of this idea. So we have Jesus Christ. He's literally, literally, if you look on the map, he's walking in the midst, if you will, of the seven churches. Now, think about the concept here. If you have a lamp, can you knock that lamp out? Absolutely. So all the seven churches, the fire is burning, if you will. And of course, back in the day, they didn't have electricity, of course. So every single one, the fire is burning. And he's going to give him a little warning here about that fire potentially going out. All right, so what does John say? He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, but have found them liars. You have persevered, have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. All right, so let's, let's just take a minute here. John is writing to the churches. He's commending the church for these specific things. So as a church, does it make sense that we ought to basically try to emulate the same thing? I think it makes a lot of sense. So what he's saying is, he's, he, I know what you've been doing. I know your works. I know your labor. Well, folks, I think I know a lot of what happens around the church here, and I know a lot of work and a lot of labor is taking place, and that's a wonderful thing. We've done massive amount of work on this building. Lots of changes. We've done many different things in, in outreaches, and, and there's a whole lot more to come. But uh, we had some over 60-plus initiatives last year. We've got about 15 going right now. Things that we're doing, trying to reach out. And, and God's saying, good job, folks. It's good. It's wonderful. I know your works. I know your labor. He says, I know your patience. Folks, they were living in an awful, corrupt area. And God looks at them and says, I, 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 you've got good patience. Uh, you're pushing around a bit. You're persecuted a bit. But you've got patience, and you're working hard, and you're doing the right things. And congratulations on that. That's good. You've rejected evil. Folks, I like what, uh, I appreciate what Justin said a little bit earlier. Sunday mornings, we've been going through some tough stuff. You talk about some of the politically incorrect things that we've gone through from Scripture, and boy, that puts your puts people on like, whoa, seriously, in this day and age, you're gonna you're gonna preach the whole counsel of God? They're gonna reject evil, we're gonna embrace and love people. Got to. I know you reject evil. He says, uh, 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 individuals have come into your church. Thank God it hadn't happened here that I'm aware of. And he says, uh, infiltrators came in, and, and they claimed to be apostles, and you tested them, and you asked them the right questions, and you checked their theology, and you found out they were false apostles, and you found them to be liars. Okay, good doctrinal testing. You persevered. Folks, let's go back and take a peek at this. Oops, wrong way. Can't go back if I'm going forward. All right, take a look at that. I compared it to modern-day Chicago, modern-day Los Angeles, modern-day San Francisco, modern-day... I don't want to pick on Dallas. I like Dallas. But a big urban place, Milwaukee. And he looks at all of this and he says, in the midst of this, you've persevered. You fought a good fight. You're going in the right direction. I love what I'm seeing on these ends and you've persevered. Folks, we've got to keep persevering. That's the concept. What else did he say? You have patience again. You not become weary. You ever walk into church and you're weary? You've been working all week. You get to church, and yeah, folks, I used to work third shift. How many of you work third shift still? Anybody? 
few of you, look at that, okay? You've been there. And I'd walk into church after, uh, and I wasn't always in the pulpit back then when I was doing third shift, and you walk into church and you're poking yourself, you're taking pens and jabbing yourself, trying to stay awake because you're weary, you've, you've, you've tried hard, you worked all week, and you, and you just, I mean, you're just worn out. And my melodic voice puts people to sleep. <laughs> That's one thing I got going for me. It's anything but melodic. <laughs> Thank you, sir. That's good preaching. Anyway, you've not become weary. You've gone out. You've battled. You've done right. You've been in the battle all week. You've got people that don't like you. You've got people that are rejecting Christ. They're rejecting the Bible. They're rejecting what's right. They're rejecting your ethics. They're rejecting your morals and you're trying to do right and you get weary because the fight gets hard. But you persevered. You've done right. And he says, listen, I want to commend you for this. It's a good job. But now i got to challenge you. You've done good in those areas, but he said, nevertheless, I have this against you. Oh, boy. You ever been there? You Go to the teachers, young people. Go to the principal's office. Uh, you get called in from your job to go see the boss or the supervisor, the manager. You're like, hey, you know, you've been, you've been doing pretty good here. Like it. But. What happens when you hear the word but? Oh, boy. It's like taking a knife and shoving it in your heart. He says, you've been doing great, but nevertheless, I have this against you. I'm like, oh, no, here comes. You have left your first love. Whoa. You look good on the outside. It looks like you're busy doing my work. Oh, you're, you're busy, busy, busy. But you dumped me. You left your first love. You left your first love. Remember, here's the biggest three-point outline every preacher uses in the country. Remember, repent, or remove. Remember! How many of you know who Dr. John R. Rice is? There's some old folks that, I mean, I didn't mean old folks. Folks that know the old... Oh, nah, I can't get out of that one. I know him. I knew him. He's passed away. So John R. Rice, he was, by the way, if you don't know who John R. Rice is, he's one of the old fundamental preachers, just a wonderful guy traveling around the, the world preaching the gospel, just an old-fashioned fundamental preacher, evangelist, Bible teacher. John R. Rice tells the story. He's passed away now, so I can talk about him. John R. Rice is in the car with his wife. You know, and he's driving, he's in the driver's seat driving away, and his wife's sitting over there by the window, and she's like, John R. I'm like, yes, dear. Yes. Yes, dear. That's how he always talks. Put the glasses in the mouth. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. She said, Do you love me? You know, I told you when we got married, I loved you, and if it ever changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> I don't know if he was serious or not. I hope not. And she said, well, John R., if you love me, how come you, how, how, how come you don't sit next to me anymore? He's driving a car. She said, you know, we, when we first started to date, I, I'd sit right next to you. You couldn't wait for me to sit right next to you. And as the years went on, it's you moved further and further away, and you don't sit by me anymore. John R. says, I haven't moved a lick. I've been right here. You're the one that moved. She's like, oh, yeah. She's like, maybe I need to scoot a little bit closer to good old John R. Now, why is he telling that story? And I don't know if it's true or not. It's a good story. I, I think it's true. God bless John R. 
So John R. says, I've been right here all the time. I love you. How come you're not sitting next to me anymore? How come you scooted down the row a bit? How come we don't communicate the way we used to? How come we don't do the things that we did when we were first madly in love with each other? And you start to think about the things you did when you first fall in love with somebody. What do you do? I know we got some lovebirds in here tonight, and I'm not going to embarrass you. Trust me, don't get nervous. <laughs> what do you do when you first fall in love with somebody? Let's talk about dating relationships. You <laughs> talk all the time. Yeah, you talk all the time. You send cards, you send Google letters. Of course, now it's text messages and whatever. Valerie and I go into college, and uh, we'd pass in the hallway, and we went to a very, very strict fundamentalist college. You had to keep your distance, which is good. It's a good thing. And uh, I'd look forward. I'd go to my mailbox, and she lived, you know, a mile away. I had to stay in the men's dorm. She stayed in the ladies' dorm. And uh, uh, we'd send love letters to each other. And when we'd see each other, we couldn't wait to sit next to each other in chapel and church and, and work on, and we couldn't even work on bus routes together because they didn't want couples getting involved that way and uh, potentially getting in a bad situation. So very strict. But uh, we'd, we'd so look forward to it. And we look forward to those love letters. And we, and we look forward to the little gaze in the hallway. And then we get engaged and life is sweet and it's wonderful and you can't wait to see each other. And I really couldn't wait to see her until we went to the dining room. And I've told some of you who've been around, I told this story, uh, at uh, the college we went to, they gave you about this much food on your plate. And I was nowhere near as I, big as I am now, but I'll guarantee you I was getting smaller by the day. And Valerie, my sweet, sweet, sweet Valerie, would come in and she'd let me have some of her food. <laughs> the way to my heart definitely works. And we did those things and we cared about each other. And just like you, you've been there and it's like, uh, remember those first things and remember the first things that you did when you fell in love. And remember, uh, Rich, remember, uh, uh, folks, when you trusted Christ and all of a sudden uh, the Lord began to move in your heart and your life and you began to draw closer to him. And then all of a sudden something happens and life gets in the way and circumstances get in the way and life gets in the way. And the next thing you know, you walking away from your first love ah oh, boy was it sweet when I first got saved and I couldn't wait to get to church couldn't wait to go to Sunday school couldn't wait to get to Wednesday night couldn't wait to get to Sunday night couldn't wait to go out and tell folks about Christ during the week and I was so excited about it and then comes life Whew. tough week hard week Work, family pressures, kids are sick, diapers to change. Hey, honey, you want to sit together tonight and just cuddle a bit? Don't you know that I've been busy all day? <laughs> Don't you know I got work to do? Don't you understand I have reports to write? Don't you understand the kids need help? Been there. Say, Brother Rich, how do you know about those illustrations? I've been there, done that. Right? You say, Pastor, aren't you supposed to be above, like up here? Nah, I'm the same level we all are. We learn from, we weren't from life. See, I can help you, because I've been there, done that. I can help you avoid some of it. But God says, listen, Church at Ephesus, you see all these cool things you've been doing? All these wonderful things you've been doing? And you're, you're, you're seeing folks come and, and they're excited and they're busy in the ministry and they're busy, busy, busy doing things and life is good and it looks so good and it smells good and we're excited about everything. And he says, but hang on. Hang on! Why are you doing this? Why are you working like you're working? Why are the people working the way they're working? Why are they doing things the way they're doing them? Is it simply 
to do the work? Or do you love me? Do you love me? Sweetheart, we need to sit down. We're not doing good. We're so busy. We're doing everything there is to do. We don't write love letters anymore. We don't seem to care about each other like we used to. There's so many things going on. And we're working hard and we're trying to get through life. There's bills to pay and there's sick th sickness to deal with. There's aged parents to deal with. All these things. And you reach over and grab her hand or she grabs yours and it's like we need to rekindle the fire. We need to rekindle the fire. And God says, I reached down, I touched you. You came to me. You were excited when you got saved. You couldn't wait to do the things of God. And now it's just work and it's labor and, and, and all these things that you're involved in. And he's like, get back to loving me. I'm calling you. It's time to go on a date. It's time uh, uh, you, you went home and, and, and took some uh, uh, time in the morning or in the afternoon or at night, however your schedule works, and it's time for you to date me. And I mean that with all due respect. It's time to go into your prayer closet or into your Bible reading place. You know where I read my Bible? I don't do it as much there as I used to because I fall asleep a little easier now than when I was a teenager. I like to go into my bedroom I put my Bible on my pillow, and that's where I love to read it. It's my favorite reading spot. Others, you have other places. You have different places where you go and you meet with God, and God says, would you, would you come back? Get back. Rich, get back in your bedroom. Rich, get back and uh, pull that old pillow out. Put your Bible on it. Pull that Bible out and start reading it and start spending time with me. And he says, remember your first love. He says, you need to remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Get back. What am I not doing? How am I not relating to the Lord how I used to? Am I still as much in love with God as I was? Is my relationship with my Savior building or am I backsliding? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. What does he say? Repent and do the first works. So what does he say? Nevertheless, he says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, folks, you know exactly what you used to do. You know exactly when you were on fire for God. You know exactly what was taking place at that time. But life got in the way, and maybe you have slipped back. Maybe not, and I hope not. But if you have, God gives this warning. Folks... Don't just work to work. It's not what I'm looking for, God. So I'm looking for you to do my work as you love me and as you serve me and as you spend time with me. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. In other words, turn back around, get right with God, start walking with him. Remember, from where you have fallen, Repent, in other words, make that change and do the first works or else. Oh boy, ultimatum. Now when God gives an ultimatum, it's not like many parents who say, if you don't do this, I'm going to take away whatever. I'm going to spank you or I'm going to take away cookies or I'm going to put you in your room or I'm going to ground you, whatever the punishment might be. When God puts an ultimatum out, he's not kidding. Here's what he says. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent. Change back to what you should be doing and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. As I've in the past stated, Valerie and I spent several years traveling the country with Prophecy Focus Ministries. And I've watched as church after church that we knew some five years ago shut their doors. Think about it. Why do churches die? Why do pastors 
get weary in well-doing. Why do these things happen? I'll tell you exactly why they happen. Because they lose their first love. God says if you lose your first love, if you don't repent, if you don't get right with me, if you don't stop doing things in your own strength, if you don't stop doing things just to work, to work, to work, I'm going to take that lampstand and I'm going to put the flame out. I'm watching it happen. And folks, it's getting, there's, I forget the statistic. I don't want to falsely give a statistic, but the amount of churches that close every single day across the country is catastrophic. You say, Brother Rich, do you take the pastorate seriously? <laughs> serious is, and nothing more serious to me. You say, do you take church work seriously? Nothing more serious to me than what takes place in this building. Nothing more serious. You say to the, the folks that come in here, uh, and you constantly, you constantly say, I love you folks, and you really mean that. I mean it with all my heart. And when I say I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, even though I'm a poor, wretched sinner by, just by nature, it's like we are not going to give up. We are not going to stop the fight. We are not going to say uh, we're just going to keep working for work's sake. No, well, what we're saying is and we're going to keep the theme going because it's God's theme is that this must be, it has to be, the church that God's love is building. Here we stand. We shall not be moved. Thank you, Martin Luther. And we're not going to be moved. And he said, uh, if you don't repent, if you don't go back and remember and repent and do those first works, I'm going to remove that lampstand. But he says, okay, cookie, cookie time. I've let you have it. Isn't it nice that God... God looks at, at, at the church and he says, yeah, you did good. You did good, guys. Just a second. You did bad on this. I'm giving you an F in this particular class, but I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you an A in the next one. And God looks at the church at Ephesus and he says, listen, but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, we're almost out of time. Let me tell you who the Nicolaitans were very quickly. I'm going to get a little bit academic here. So the Nicolaitans were, if you will, an ancient reprobate group. Reprobate meaning horrible, bad, not good for those that are young. It is probable that the Nicolaitans were identical with those who held the doctrine of Balaam. Basically, trying to get God's people, trick them into doing the wrong things, going into sinful habits, and these Nicolaitans hated God, hated Christians, and they were living in sinful ways. And it's likely that these individuals were pushing God's people, if you will, to commit fornication. Now, fornication involves every single sordid act from A to Z. It's a very open-ended word. And to sacrifice to idols. So just a bad group of people. Now, here's where I'm going to get a little bit scholastic on purpose. So stick with me. I'm going to go through multiple individuals that are known as the early church Fathers, I'm going to be very quick, but I just want to point this out on purpose. So, reference to the Nicolaitans is frequent in post, here's a fancy word, post-apostolic literature. What does that mean? That means it's extra-biblical. It is not inspired by God. These are individuals that were, if you will, uh, uh, like... Best I can compare them to, they would be like pastors, elders, uh, individuals that had a great deal of influence in the early church. Every single individual that's listed on this slide are individuals that lived from about 150 A.D. to about 300 A.D. Now, we're looking at that. Why? Now, if you and some of you are in Bible school right now, when you look at these individuals, why do we even care what they say? Because these are individuals, just like we read commentaries and you get your study Bibles, these would be the individuals, if you will, that would be read and fouled back in the day. So let's see what these uh, religious leaders said. According to Irenaeus, followed by Hippolytus, they were founded by Nicholas. Speaking of the Nicolaitis, 
Nicolaitans, I can't even say it, the proselyte of Antioch was one of the seven chosen to serve at the tables. If you remember back at Acts chapter 6, uh, these men were chosen to serve, to assist the elders in the church. And this individual, Nicholas, is one of them that they feel uh, uh, went against God at some point. Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian. If you go to Bible school, you're going to know who these individuals are. By the way, you don't have to go to Bible school to read these people. The books are there if you want them, and you, I'll be happy to tell you how to get them. I'd much rather spend time in the Bible, but they're interesting. And others unite in condemning their practices in terms similar to those of John, and references also made to their Gnostic tendencies. All right, that's as far as we're going to go in the scholastic realm. Why did I bring that out, folks? Because we want to look back in history, and the church fathers, who met all these are, are talking about this group. They provide a lot of good insight into uh, giving commentary, if you will, on things that were taking place during that day. All right, so uh, the Christians were rejecting the Nicolaitans, and God says, listen, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and I hate them too. Ah, God says, good job. So keep fighting evil. Keep fighting those that are, are going against my word. Finally, what does he say? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So he's like, listen, the Holy Spirit is speaking. Read the letter, church. Now, God had these seven letters dispersed to all the seven churches in Asia because he had messages for them to get. He has a message for us today in 2021. Do the work, love God, and hate evil. Make sense? I mean, it's just so simple, but it's powerful. How powerful is it? I told you I've been to Ephesus. I'm like, uh, I asked tour guide, I'm like, Where, where's the Christian church here? You know, Christian church, I know Christian church here. Why not? I don't know. I do. I actually do know. God said, listen, you don't follow me, you don't walk with me, you leave your first love, you don't repent, bye-bye, put your light out. You see where we're going, folks? Don't want the light put out. Don't want the light put out. Listen! And finally he says, uh, let, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. To him who does what? Who overcomes. I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Overcome. Let me just go through a couple verses. We'll be done. First Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Really? Really. If you want to take a stand for Christ wherever you are, at your school, at your work, with folks you come in contact with, and you take a stand. Now, folks, I'm not saying to be belligerent and horrible and awful to folks. I'm saying to speak the truth in love. But is somebody going to get ticked off at you? Oh, yeah. And what does God say? How are we supposed to treat him? Punch him in the nose? Mm -mm. You love him. You love him. Folks, you know why people, they get mad and they get angry, and you just treat them nice and you just keep loving them, and you know what? Eventually they're going to come back because they're looking for what you found. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Eternal benefits, what are they? He said, listen, you need to overcome, church. You need to walk with me. You need to persevere. You need to remember how to love God. Do you love God tonight? I've been thinking about this more than anything when I go home, and it's like, and I asked the Lord this week, I'm like, Lord, please, would you help me? I don't know the right words to say. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. Folks, we need to really fall in love with Jesus. I know, I know, when we're really walking with God, when 
I mean, that love relationship is there. It's amazing what God will do. And do we really love God? People, do we love God? Does he mean the world to you? Does he mean everything to you? Is he your savior? Is he your first love? Is, is God, I, 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 you say, well, what are you saying? I'm saying, I, I love what's going on here. I love what I see. I love the love that you're showing to others. I love all the things we're doing. And I said, but oh my, you look at Ephesians, it's like, do we really, 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 truly, truly love Jesus? Is he truly your heartbeat? Do you truly embrace him? Do you truly have that relationship with him that's deep and powerful, so deep and powerful that when you run across an unsaved person, you can't help but tell them what Jesus means to you in a loving way? Folks, are you in love with Jesus tonight? Are you in love with Jesus? Father, this is so important. So burdening, Lord, that as we watch the destruction of things across the country, across the world, as we see churches folding, as we see pastors leaving, as we see things happening, as we see many churches shrinking, yet, Father, you've been doing a marvelous, wonderful, blessed work right here in our church. And, Father, I'm so thankful for what you've been doing, yet we need to stop for a moment and say, okay, we've been working hard, we've been doing great things, and, and everything is going in the right direction, but do we love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind? Are you the center of our life? Because nothing else matters apart from our relationship with you. Father, would you speak to hearts right now, Lord? There's some, I don't know who they are, have no clue who's here tonight and what their uh, current situation is. But Lord, there's... I don't know who it is, maybe watching on the internet tonight, maybe somebody right here in the room. They've been teetering on falling into deep sin right now. They've not been walking with you, and they're walking on the brink and ready to do something that they know is wrong. Father, would you, would you pull them back tonight and help them to come back to their first love? There's others been working so hard, I'm sure, and, and just pouring themselves into ministry, and yet it's so hard to take that extra time and to meet with you and to love you and to read your word and to listen to you and to pray to you. Father, please help us get back on our knees. Help us to get back in the word. And Father, if we're not there, help us to get there. Lord, would you do what only you can do in hearts and lives tonight? Maybe there's someone here tonight, maybe somebody watching on the internet, you've never received the free gift of eternal life through trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. God says, I'll, yeah, for those who overcome, I'll give to you to the tree of life. The tree of life is waiting in heaven for all of his people to live for eternity with him. It's there. It's going to be there. And God wants to give you that fruit, if you will, of that tree. But have you ever trusted Christ? If you've not received his free gift of salvation, eternal life by trusting in Jesus, right there where you are, it's time to trust Christ and start that love relationship with him. You say, how do I do that? Do you understand you're a sinner? You say, of course I do. Do you understand that because you sinned, you don't deserve to go to heaven? You say, of course I know that. You understand that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose again from the dead. Do you understand that? You say, yes, I do. Do you believe it? You say, yes, I do. I believe it with all my heart. Then all you got to do is the last step. Receive the free gift. For God so loved the world, that's each one of you, that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, believes in his death, burial, and resurrection, believes in that uh, eternal life through him, should not perish or go to hell, but have everlasting life with Christ in heaven. Would you accept Christ this very moment? Father, there's serious business that needs to take place tonight. Lord, the message is from your word. I know there's serious business that must occur tonight. If that's you tonight, you fit in one of those two groups. Are you heading down a path that leaves the first love way behind? Would you repent tonight? Would you change? Would you do what needs to be done and come back to the Lord this very moment? Every head's bowed, every eye closed. I don't do this often, but I feel out of the spirit to do this. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to ask you to do anything except one thing. I've found through my Christian life there's times when I need to simply acknowledge that there's a change that needs to happen in my life. 
And I want to pray for you tonight, and I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. I promise nothing more than this one thing, but you say, Brother Rich, tonight, there's some changes I need to make in my life. Would you pray for me? And I want to make a testimony to that by slipping my hand up. If that's you tonight, slip your hand up nice and tall. Nobody's looking about. There's some changes I need to make today that I might be right with God. Anyone at all, I'm making that change today. God bless you. See the one. Anyone else, there's changes that need to happen today. God bless you. Anyone else, I'll give you a moment. Just raising that hand is like telling God, this is serious. I mean business tonight. I won't hasten any, or I won't uh, drag it out, but anyone else, I want to give you a chance. If there's something God's doing in your heart, don't walk away without getting it right with him. Last call, anyone else, I want to get right with God tonight. There's something I need to get right with the Lord. If you're here, whether on the internet or here, and you've never trusted Christ, right there, would you receive the Lord Jesus? Would you accept the free gift of salvation, eternal life through Christ? If you're ready to do that, we're going to say a simple prayer. The prayer won't save you, but your faith in Christ will. Would you say something like this? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to heaven, but this very night, this very hour, this very moment, I'm receiving that free gift of eternal life. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and rose again three days later, and I'm accepting that free gift of eternal life this very moment. Thank you for saving me. Father, seal the decisions tonight. Do, please, what only you can do in the hearts of people. In Jesus' precious name, amen.